0: Imagine if you were invited to dinner, a private dinner with the president and the first lady. Would you just walk up to the door and push the doorbell and expect him to open the door and invite you right in? I wouldn't think so. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine who's a colonel in the army actually had that opportunity a couple months ago. To be invited to a dinner, only four couples were invited to the White House to have dinner. They received an invitation, and then this describes a little bit of what it was like for them as they approached going to dinner with the president. After passing through two earlier security checkpoints, including a polite dog sniff, (laughs) the guard at the inner fence opened the gate and shooed the tourist pedestrians out of the way waving us onto the curved driveway abutting the south lawn. Miss Beasley, President's dog, was out on the lawn for an early evening romp with her human walker. Carly, who is my friend's daughter, said, Dad, just make sure you don't run over the dog. (laughs) We drove slowly up the lovely landscape driveway until suddenly the impressive White House loomed into view, already illuminated in the fading sunset. Our small entourage of four cars parked alongside the Rose Garden in the shadow of the South Portico. We were at the White House, right there. It took my breath away. The protocol woman greeted us and ushered us into the diplomatic reception room. We then loaded up into a small elevator, and a fellow stuck in his hand to press the button that needed to be pressed, and we smoothly moved up to the third floor. In the residence, there was no security around, as it is the only private place in the world the president and first lady can be alone. The opening of doors provided the next signature impression. A very distinctive Texas voice, welcome, come on in, good to see you, come on in, I'll bet you're all ready to eat something. It was the president of the United States of America, smiling and shaking our hands. See, so you don't just walk up to the president's house and ring the doorbell and walk in. <laughs> but more importantly, as we think about that, how we approach the president, how do we approach a holy God, the creator of the universe, the one who is pure and righteous, so glorious that his glory far outshines the sun? He is awesome, He is perfect, He is holy, and we are not. How can we hope to approach a holy God? That's the question that Israel was facing in our passage today. What do I need to do to approach a holy God? God had spoken to them directly through the Ten Commandments. He had spoken to them and given them directly the Ten Commandments. And they were overwhelmed with his presence. They were overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God. As I studied this text, it, it made me think, you know, we in our modern culture seem to have lost that sense of the awesomeness, the holiness of God, the otherness of God, the transcendence of God that we've been singing about all morning. God is powerful and awesome and holy and righteous, unapproachable. And God is loving and kind and pursues us. Both are true. Both need to be held in tension for us to understand who God is. But in our Christian world of today, we tend to overemphasize, I believe, the love of God, the approachability of God. And we've lost a sense of the awesomeness of God. And I think our Christian faith tends to be weak and anemic because of it. And I think our struggle with immorality in the church today is because we've lost a picture of the awesome, holy, glorious, powerful God that we serve. So I'm hoping today you'll catch a fresh vision of God's awesomeness. That you'll be moved to see Him in a new way And maybe approach Him in a different way. So let's look at our passage together. We're in Exodus chapter 20. Starting in verse 18. 18 through 26. People had just heard the Ten Commandments directly from God. And listen to what they experienced in verse 18. All the people perceived or saw the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet. And the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Imagine this experience. Imagine what it must have been like. The sights, the sounds, the smell. The overwhelming presence of God. Maybe we'll get just a taste of it. I want to show you a brief video to get a, a taste of of what the sensual experience must have been like to be confronted with a holy God. Now imagine that going on for a long period of time, and you're hearing a shofar, a trumpet sound in the background. It gets louder and louder. And you're overwhelmed with that presence of the living God. They'd seen this God crush Egypt, the most powerful nation on Earth, and take its army and just throw it into the sea and wash over it and destroy it. They'd seen this God perform miracles, the ten plagues, kill every firstborn of Egypt lead them through the wilderness, provide water and food, all their needs. And they're standing before Mount Sinai, and they're seeing this incredible, sensual, powerful experience, and they trembled with terror. And they stood at a distance, we're told. Their response was clearly, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of such an awesome, powerful, holy God, he is beyond me. You see, when we come into the presence of the Lord and if we really have seen him in his glory, I think there's always two responses. One is we're overwhelmed with his awesomeness. And another is we're overwhelmed with our own unworthiness. I don't belong here. God is way beyond me. He is more powerful, more glorious, more beautiful, more incredible than I ever, ever realized. It happens over and over again in Scripture, and we could look at many examples when people actually catch a glimpse of who God is in His awesomeness, that they're overwhelmed with it. We sang a song that comes directly out of the book of Isaiah earlier. Isaiah chapter 6. And it begins this way. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe, filling the temple. And verse 5, Isaiah's response is this. Then I said, woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You remember Peter. When he was fishing, he'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus said, go out again, cast your nets over the other side. And he says, we're the fishermen. You're the religious guy. (laughs) Okay, we'll try it. They cast their nets and they caught so many fish they could not pull the nets in. They were breaking. And he was overwhelmed and he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. He caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus, this man standing there who was God incarnate. And if we face the living God, that's how our hearts will respond, with trembling. And let me ask you this, and I ask myself this, how often do you experience God in that way? How often do you tremble before him? How often are you overwhelmed with his awesomeness, with his glory? We sing about it, but do we experience that? Do your knees shake at his glory? He reveals himself over and over again. In the, in the mornings when I get up and I'm an early riser and I, I get up and I go out, pick up the newspaper, and I love to go out and just look at the stars and the moon, clouds, whatever's up, and just stand there for a moment because for me, that sets the stage for the day. <laughs> it reminds me who I am before an awesome, incredible God, where I am insignificant. And what's important is Him and His kingdom, and not me. However you do that, I encourage you to remember God in His awesomeness. Is God only your buddy? Or is God a holy God that is other, separate from you? I think too often we're too comfortable with God. We just walk up and ring the doorbell and expect Him to answer the door and say, Hey, come on, let's hang out. And God hangs out with us in life, but He's not the powerful God who reigns and who controls everything. I think we take Him far too lightly sometimes. I like the way A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, wonderful little book, written almost 50 years ago, he puts it this way. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper In this age, the only way to recoup our spiritual losses is to go back to the cause of them and make such corrections as the truth warrants. The decline of the knowledge of the holy has brought on our troubles. A rediscovery of the majesty of God will go a long way towards curing them. If we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he truly is. We must see him on his throne. We must be overwhelmed by his majesty. So how did Israel respond? They were overwhelmed by this mountain, this sensual experience that was, made them feel unworthy. They trembled and they stood at a distance. And notice verse 19 through 21. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself. And we will listen, but let not God speak to us, or we will die. Their response is very much like, you know, kids and, and somebody needs to go talk to the teacher, and they get the, the gullible one to do it for them, because they're intimidated. Hey, yeah, you go talk to him. So Israel says, Ah, Moses, you talk to him. We'll just stand back, and the implication is, if you die, it's okay. (laughs) But uh, but we don't want to die, and we're terrified of this God. In other words, they say we need a mediator. We need someone to stand between us and God, which is absolutely true. For every human being that's ever lived, we need a mediator. There's no way we can come into his presence without someone to stand between us. So their response is, (laughs) you do it. And then Moses says this to the people, verse 20, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. So Moses steps into that mediator role. But notice what he says to them. It's kind of interesting if you look closely. He says, don't be afraid. Instead, I want you to be afraid. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it, Moses. There's two different kinds of fear he's talking about here. Don't be afraid that God will kill you. but revere him, treat him with honor and respect because he is a holy God and yet he has come to you. He loves you. He is for you. So weigh him heavily, but don't be terrified. Just honor him for who he is. In Lord of the Rings, the hobbits are afraid, they're running, And they come to an inn, and they meet a man there named Strider. And when they meet him, they're terrified of everybody. They're paranoid, and they meet Strider, and they're scared. And suddenly they find that he protects them, gets them to a place, and protects them from the Nazgul and from their enemies, and he fights for them and leads them. He eventually reveals himself as Aragorn, the true king. And those hobbits who were terrified of him later honor him. Do they fear him? Yes. But not in a, oh, no, he's going to kill us way. But in a, ah, here's somebody we can trust in because he's powerful. That's the kind of fear God wants us to have. He does want a relationship with us. He does want to sup with us. He wants to invite us in and say, y'all come in now. (laughs) Let's have dinner together. But we need to approach him in the right way. In his way. And so he goes on to show the Israelites three requirements for approaching this holy God. So he speaks to Moses, verse 22, and he says, The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Yeah, we know, we heard. (laughs) You shall not make other gods besides me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. First requirement for approaching a holy God is loyalty. Letting go of your idols. Saying, God, I will come to you and I will be loyal to you alone. I I won't honor other gods. I will not follow other gods. I will trust you alone. Think about what it's like for God when we show up with all our idols. Well, Lord, I'm going to worship you, but you know what? My real dependence is on money and this other person and power and influence and my job. And these are the things I depend on God. And, and I'm showing up and, you know, I'm going to worship you as God. You know what that's like for God? It's like a man walking into his home and finding his wife in bed with another man. That's the way the scripture describes it. That's how God says it feels to him. So God says, if you're going to come to me, a holy God, you need to come with open hands. Let go of those things as best you can, as best you can. And say, God, I am yours and yours alone. I come, I will be loyal to you. I want to hear From you. I will approach you with open hands, loyal to you. Tozer again puts it this way Among the sins to which the human heart is prone, hardly any is more hateful to God than idolatry. For idolatry is at bottom a libel on his character. The idolatrous heart assumes that God is other than he is, in itself a monstrous sin and substitutes for the true God one made after its own likeness. A God begotten in the shadows of a fallen heart will quite naturally be no true likeness of the true God. He says when we come with our idols, we're we're trying to make God in our own image. We're trying to make Him what we want Him to be. For example, I mean, we could use a lot of examples, but for example, our culture so emphasizes comfort, and happiness. We make God a God who has to provide that for us. We demand that of Him. And yet, scriptures say, if we follow Him, our lives will be characterized by suffering because He's shaping our lives into Christ's likeness and our hearts are so hard it it, it takes suffering for us to be made in His likeness. But we want to make God in our image and we look for ways to try to make Him make our lives comfortable, happy, successful. That's just an example of how we come with our idols. So he says, don't make other gods. Come with open hands, with loyal hearts, coming to him alone. The second requirement for approaching a holy God is sacrifice sacrifice. Let's see what he says. Verse 24. You shall make an altar of earth for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. Make note of that last phrase in every place I show up. I will come to you and bless you in every place. I will come to you and bless you. That's God's heart for you. And for me, he wants to come to us and bless us with his presence. But the only way we, as unworthy people, can come to him, he says, is to build an altar and bring your sheep and your goats and your oxen and slit their throats and shed blood. Israel had to learn that lesson that only by sacrifice could they be forgiven of their sins and come into his presence. But their sacrifices had to be made over and over and over and over again. But we live in the new covenant. Praise God for that. Because the old covenant could not provide a a permanent solution to our sinful problem. But God provided one and that is Jesus himself. He came and he died for us. Once for all. Once for all. His blood was shed by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, quote from Hebrews, we can enter his presence and only by the blood. You see, you can only enter his presence by the blood. You can only come standing under the shadow of the cross. And I think we forget that. That's why he said, take communion regularly. Remember that the only access you have to the Father, a holy, righteous God, is by the shed blood of Jesus. And you do have access. That's how you get through the security checkpoints. (laughs) That's how we get to the place where he says, come on in. I've been waiting to sup with you. It's only under the shadow of the cross. And He's trying to teach them that and He's trying to teach us that as well. He's our mediator. He's our sacrifice once for all. So I think the encouragement to you and to me is let's not take our access to God lightly. We can only come because though we deserve to die and we are unworthy, He took our place. He died in our place and it cost the God of heaven His very life so that you and I could walk into his presence. So that's why we celebrate that. So God requires loyalty and he requires sacrifice. Open hands and standing in the shadow of the cross to come into his presence. And finally, a responsive heart. He requires a responsive heart. Last two verses of this chapter. Chapter. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. He says two requirements. If you build me an altar, he says, build it of earth. And if you build it of stones, don't cut them. And don't build steps lest your nakedness be exposed. Now, probably this is against some of the pagan rituals and pagan worship that went on around them. But I think part of the message to us is he's saying everywhere you go to worship, everywhere I show up, worship me there. And you know what? Anybody could pile some earth and worship God right there. Anybody could do it. You didn't have to take time to cut stones and do it all right and have only the certain people that could do it all right, his encouragement to them is, I want everyone to come into my presence, everyone to have access to me. But you need to do it my way, he says, responding to me. Every place I show up, worship me. I think the encouragement to you and to me is that when we show up for worship, wherever that might be, Walking through our day, when you have your quiet time, when you show up at church, wherever it might be, our lives are meant to be characterized by worship all the time. But when we come into his presence, do we look for him and respond to who he is in the way he shows us, or do we come with our preconceived notions and try to construct it the way we want it? He wants us to respond to him, have responsive hearts. Lord, who are you? Reveal yourself to me and then respond to him. It's to be initiated by him. I think so often our worship is initiated by us. It's controlled by us. We want it a certain way. We demand it a certain way and we construct it a certain way. And then we wonder why God doesn't seem to show up. He wants us to have an open heart and say, Lord, what are you doing? So when you walk in the door on a Sunday morning or you're having your quiet time, just consider what is your attitude? Is it not to step on any toes, but uh, is it, well, back at church again, I hope they don't bore me too much today. Or do you come in, God, I'm looking for you to show up today. I want to hear from you. Expectant. God, you're present here among your people. You have said you are. I want to hear from you. Speak to me today, Lord. And I want to respond in worship to how you're speaking to my heart. That's the kind of worship that God wants. Worship that comes from a responsive heart, responding to who he is, how he's revealed himself to us. You want to have dinner with the president? Not president of the U.S., but the king of the universe? I do. <laughs> but you need to come on his terms, his terms of having an open, open hands, letting go of our idols. Lord, I want to be yours and fully yours, consecrated to you. We need to come standing under the cross realizing we have no access to him except through the blood of Jesus. And we need to come with a responsive heart that says, Lord, reveal yourself and I will respond to you. And when we respond that way, God says, I will come to you. And I will bless you. On those terms, I will bless you. So y'all come in, okay? And let's sup together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for who You are. I thank You that we in our fallenness don't understand You, yet You've revealed Yourself to us and You've pursued us and You want relationship with us and You've redeemed us. But, Lord, we confess that we have taken you way too lightly. That we have come to you on our own terms. So, Lord, we acknowledge our sin. We ask that you give us a fresh vision of who you are. Because, Lord, who would not fear you, O Lord God? You who are most high, most awesome, most dangerous, most powerful. For you are the only true Lord. You made heaven and you made earth and you made everything in it. And you sustain it all by the power of your word and by the power of your own hand. In fact, in your hand is the soul, the breath, the life of every living thing. And you sit as king. Everything that happens in this world is not outside your power. In fact, it's led and directed by you in your sovereignty, in your awesomeness. You're clothed with strength. You're clothed with power. You're clothed with might. And we worship you for your awesome greatness. And yet, Lord, you call us children. And you allow us to call you Father And we admit as children we're confused and we don't know how to come to you sometimes and we're lost. And we thank you that you have pursued us in your love. We confess that we're guilty and ashamed often of who we are. And we know if we look at ourselves that there's nothing in us that would attract the love of one as holy and righteous and awesome as you. Yet, Lord, you've declared your love for us, a love that's unchanging and powerful in Christ Jesus. And if nothing in us can win your love, nothing in the universe can prevent you from loving us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be secure in your love because it does not depend on what we are, but it depends on what you are. Help us to believe in your love. Help us to have a fresh vision of your greatness and your power that we might trust in you as the one who is our Redeemer, our Savior, the holy and righteous God over the entire universe. Help us to see you for who you truly are. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord our Savior, our only access to your holy presence. Jesus, our Lord, amen.